بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وأصلي وأسلم على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا وحبيبنا وقرة أعيننا محمد بن عبد الله عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه أفضل صلاة وأتم تسليم أما بعد فقد قال الله تبارك وتعالى في قرآنه العزيز بعد أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم يا أيها الذين آمنوا أنفقوا مما رزقناكم من قبل أن يأتي يوم لا بيع فيه ولا خلة ولا شفاعة والكافرون هم الظالمون الله لا إله إلا هو الحي القيوم لا تأخذه سنة ولا نوم له ما في السماوات وما في الأرض من ذا الذي يشفع عنده إلا بإذنه يعلم ما بين أيديهم وما خلفهم ولا يحيطون بشيء من علمه إلا بما شاء وسع كرسيه السماوات والأرض ولا يؤده حفظهما وهو العلي العظيم لا إكراه في الدين قد تبين الرشد من الغيب فمن يكفر بالطاغوت ويؤمن بالله فقد استمسك بالعروة الوثقى لم في صام لها والله سميع عليم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قول We commence by praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is no doubt our creator, sustainer, nourisher, protector and cure. We ask him Jalla wa'az to shower his choicest of blessings and salutations upon our beloved Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam, his family members, his companions and all those who tread upon his path with utmost sincerity until the day of Qiyam. My dear respected elders and brothers in Islam, first and foremost I advise myself and then all of you all present here to adopt a life of taqwa. And that is to fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to be conscious of Him jalla wa'az during every single second of our lives if we wish to attain success in this world as well as the hereafter. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us all from the people of taqwa and may He make us from the victorious and successful ones. Ameen. Inshallah ta'ala, the khutbah for today is going to revolve around the grandest and the greatest verse of the Noble Qur'an and also in regard to Ruqya which can be otherwise translated as spiritual healing. In terms of the grandest and the greatest ayah in the Noble Qur'an we have a number of ahadith from the Prophet where he he has asked a few of the Sahaba in regard to the grandest and the greatest of ayat in the Noble Quran. 
there was this one particular Sahabi that Rasulullah wasallam he asked him, um, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was Ubayy ibn Ka'b in regard to the grandest and the greatest ayah in the Noble Quran. And the Sahabi, he was an intelligent companion of the Prophet He knew, he knew in regard to which ayah was the grandest and the greatest ayah. But then, you know, out of his respect for Rasulullah and this was generally the attitude of the Sahaba. This was generally how they carried themselves. They were humble individuals in front of the Prophet And from this, we also learn a beautiful lesson in regard to the etiquettes that a student of knowledge needs to follow. He said, he responded to the question of the Prophet by saying, Allah wa Rasuluhu a'lam. Allah and his messenger know best. Rasulullah repeated the question. To which once again he responded by saying, Allah wa Rasuluhu a'lam. Allah and his messenger know best. Rasulullah repeated the question. And again he responds, Allah wa Rasuluhu a'lam. Rasulullah kept repeating the question until finally this Sahabi radiallahu he responds by saying, Ayatul Kursi. The narration goes along the lines of these words. Ayatul Kursi. Rasulullah then congratulates that Sahabi. He congratulates him in regard to his knowledge and he affirms that particular answer of the Sahabi. And he went on to educate the Sahaba as well as his Ummah at large in regard to this particular ayah. And it is Ayatul Kursi. The ayah that I recited at the inception of the khutbah. And he went on to say that this particular ayah has two lips. It has a tongue. And it praises Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it is inscribed at the foot of the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allahu Akbar. A powerful ayah. A grand ayah. The grandest ayah in the noble Quran. Such a powerful ayah. Now there is an interesting, a very interesting narration that has been recorded by Imam al-Bukhari rahimullah and I want you all to pay attention in regard to this particular narration because it's very much related to the content that we are about to delve into uh, that is ruqya, spiritual healing. This particular narration is in regard to Ayatul Kursi. Imam al-Bukhari rahimahullah he mentions in his book that once Abu Huraira radiallahu an, he was put in charge by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to guard or to look after a certain portion of wealth, some wealth that was, uh, you know, supposed to go to the Baytul Mal or perhaps the Zakah Fund, if you will. So Abu Hurairah, he was put in charge. He was put in charge to look after the particular wealth. Night approaches, Abu Hurairah, he was, you know, on watch, he was on guard in regard to the wealth. And he notices a man in the darkness slinking towards the wealth. And it wasn't just wealth, there were, f- there were food provisions, there were a number of things there. And this individual was creeping in the darkness and trying to take away from those things. Abu Hurairah he notices the man, and after all he was put in charge, he rushes to the man, he grabs him, and he catches him. And he tells him, Ya Rajul, what are you doing here? The narration goes along the lines of these words. And he tells him, I have caught you doing something that is wrong, and I'm most definitely going to produce you in front of Rasulullah the man immediately cries out and he says, Oh, please forgive me. I've got a family. It's poverty that has driven me out here to do this. And you know, he started to play to the sympathy of Abu Hurairah. So after a while, Abu Hurairah, being Abu Hurairah, he was generally a very soft-hearted individual. He felt sorry for the man and he let him go. He warned him and he let him go. The morning comes and Abu Hurairah, he goes by Rasulullah. 
No sooner he approaches the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, Rasulullah looks at him and says, Ya Abu Hurairah. Now, this was something that had already been informed to the Prophet by Allah Azza wa Jal in, ra- in regard to what had happened the night before. It was something that was informed to the Prophet by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, just as how a number of other things were taught to the Prophet These were not shots in the dark. This was knowledge. This was ilm from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Rasulullah looks at Abu Hurairah and says, Ya Abu Hurairah, what happened last night? Tell me about your companion. What happened about the prisoner last night? Abu Hurairah he was shocked because he didn't tell the Prophet in regard to what had happened last night. And Rasulullah knew about it because he had been informed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Abu Hurairah went on to tell the Prophet Ya Rasulullah, this is what happened. He was a poor individual and you know, I felt sorry for him. I warned him and I let him go. Now Rasulullah tells him something amazing. He, he, he prophesied something. He said, Ya Abu Hurairah, know that the individual will come tonight as well. Know that the individual will come tonight as well. Now Abu Hurairah he was shocked. He's going to come tonight as well. I warned him. I let him go. But how come he's going to come tonight as well? So this time, Abu Hurairah was very attentive. And he was waiting for the man. Because Rasulullah had prophesied that he would come. He waits. And just as Rasulullah had said, the man now slinks in the darkness. And he's approaching uh, the, the provisions, uh, the wealth, if you will. Abu Hurairah he rushes to the man and he grabs him and he tells him I warned you yesterday and here you are this time no excuses I'm not going to listen to you I'm going to produce you in front of the Prophet once again the man now intensifies his excuses and he you know plays to the emotions of Abu Hurairah until finally Abu Hurairah let him go after warning him morning comes Rasulullah approaches Abu Hurairah and says Ya Abu Hurairah what happened last night what happened to your prisoner and then Rasulullah just as how he had said during the first uh, morning, he says that he will come for a third time. He will come for a third, th- third time. Now this time, Abu Hurairah was determined. He was like, I'm not going to let this man go. This is the third time. And if he's going to you know, not take heed to my warnings, I'm not going to let him go. I'm going to produce him in front of the Prophet He was very determined. The third night comes about. The man, as the Prophet had said, comes and starts to you know, take away from the things. He started to rummage around amidst the provisions of the Baytul Mal or the Zakah, if you will. This time, Abu Hurairah he catches him and he tells him, look, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to produce you in front of the Prophet Now the man, he knew he was cornered. So quickly he said, you know what? If you let me go, if you excuse me this one last time, I will teach you something profound. Something amazing. I will teach you something amazing, something really profound. Now, Abu Hurairah, this statement of the man piqued his interest and it piqued his curiosity. And this is another lesson that we derive from this particular narration that the Sahaba, they were very ardent and zealous when it came to seeking knowledge. They had this zeal that was, you know, unquenchable in terms of seeking knowledge. So, the man, the minute this man said this, Abu Hurairah said, okay, it's subject to what you're going to tell me, but then, okay, tell me what you have to tell me. And the man teaches Abu Hurairah something amazing. Right after he taught him that, 
Abu Huraira radiallahu an, let the man go. Now listen to me attentively. Morning comes. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is approached by Abu Huraira radiallahu an. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as usual asks Abu Huraira radiallahu an, Ya Abu Huraira, what happened to your prisoner? And now Rasulullah sallallahu I'm sorry, Abu Huraira radiallahu an, he looks at the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and says, Ya Rasulullah, this time something amazing happened. This man, he promised to teach me something profound, something powerful, if I were to leave him. And because of that, I let him go. And he taught me, he taught me that if I were to read Ayatul Kursi from the beginning to the end, Allahu la ilaha illa al hayyul qayyum, until the end, just before I go to sleep, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will appoint over me a guardian, a guardian. And no devil, no shaitan, will approach me until morning comes. Now he wanted to verify this with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The minute Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu said this, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he responded by saying, Ya Abu Huraira, the man who taught you this is generally a liar. He is generally what a kathab, a liar, a liar. But this time, just this instance, he has spoken the truth. He has spoken the truth. Do you know who that man was. Do you know who the man you were conversing the last three nights is basically? Abu Huraira he replied in the negative because he did not know who the man was. Rasulullah then told Abu Huraira he revealed it to him saying that he was none other than shaitan. He was none other than shaitan. Now shaitan had taught Abu Huraira something, alright? And Rasulullah had affirmed it. So basically it's the truth. He's generally a liar, but this time he has spoken the truth. So from this we understand that Ayatul Kursi is such a powerful ayah that if one were to read it just before one goes to sleep, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala appoints a guardian over you. Just imagine, for example, if you were to take the president of the country, if he were to call you up and tell you, you know what? I'm going to appoint two of my special bodyguards. Basically they are my right hands. I'm going to appoint them over you for a couple of weeks perhaps. You know, you would feel secure. You would feel, okay, these bodyguards, these special guards belong to the president. And if they generally look after him, they would do a good job looking after me. But look at what Rasulullah confirmed in this particular hadith. If you were to read Ayatul Kursi, it's not some worldly king, it's not some worldly president, it's not some worldly ruler who is appointing a guardian over you. It is the supreme king of all kings who will appoint a guardian over you. And no devil, no shaitan will come Will, will even come close to you. Just amazing, Ayatul Kursi. Now in regard to Ruqya, very swiftly, due to the brevity of time, you can translate this as spiritual healing. Spiritual healing. And this is something where an individual resorts to reading the Quran and certain other techniques that have been taught to us by Rasulullah And why I thought of touching on this topic today is because there is this widespread these days of jinn attacks, if you will. And most of the time, it's something to do with that individual's psychological train of thought, perhaps. It, it may, you know, sometimes be other factors even, you know. Certain individuals, they complain when they hear the uh, creaky sounds that they hear at night, thinking that they are the jinnat or the devils coming and disturbing them. Whilst it could just be loose uh, flowboards creaking at times, maybe the rasping of the branches outside. So most of the time, these issues are psychologically related issues. But then you do have the genuine cases as well. And these genuine cases, due to the lack and the scarcity of 
proper individuals who can educate them in this regard, they end up going to individuals who are not qualified, individuals who are fraudsters, individuals who are charlatans, who are waiting, they're lying in wait to make a buck or two the minute they spot an individual like this taking advantage of that individual's situation or circumstance. So we feel that it's very appropriate that we educate one another in regard to this so as to avoid these traps, these traps of shaitan as well as the traps of these fraudsters. In regard to ruqya, ruqya is something that can be done upon an individual, be it that he is suffering a, a uh, you know, physical sickness perhaps, or a spiritual malady, a spiritual sickness. And in regard to ruqya, there are a few principles and a few conditions that I would like to touch on. Firstly, we have a hadith that has been recorded in the book of Imam al-Bukhari and Imam Muslim, rahimahullah, that Aisha radiallahu anha, our mother, the wife of the Prophet sallallahu she narrates that Rasulullah sallallahu during his final sickness, he blew over himself al-mu'awwidatayn. Yani, in the sense, قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ and قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ Surah Al-Falaq and Surah Al-Nas. He read these two surahs and he blew it over himself. And as the sickness worsened, he was finding it very difficult. And then Aisha radiallahu anha, she would read the mu'awwidatayn, قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ And she would blow it on the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa She would take the hand of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa and rub it over his body. Now we have explicit proof from the ahadith of the Prophet wasallam that one can resort to ruqya in the sense where one reads the Quran over himself or over herself. But we have a few conditions in this regard and as we go through the conditions, I think uh, things will become a lot more clearer insha'Allah ta'ala. So we have a number of ahadith from the Prophet wasallam that teaches us certain du'as, certain invocations that can be used for ruqya as well, which I will try to touch on towards the end, inshallah ta'ala. In terms of the conditions, condition number one is that the ruqya in general cannot in any form or way contain words of shirk. Please listen to the conditions very attentively and inshallah, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make things clear for us and open the doors of understanding. No words of shirk can be incorporated into ruqya. Basically, you cannot seek the help of any other uh, 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 deity, if you will, you cannot seek the help of the jinnat. There can be no words of shirk in the ruqya that one reads. This is of utmost importance because we have another famous authentic hadith that has been recorded in the book of Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim. Rahimahumullah. Rasulullah is reported to have said along the lines of these words that 70,000 individuals, 70,000 individuals will be admitted entry into Jannah, into paradise. Without a reckoning, Allahu Akbar, without a reckoning, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us all from those lucky individuals. 70,000 individuals will be granted entry into paradise without any reckoning. And from these individuals will be the individuals who did not believe in omens. And from these individuals will be the individuals who did not ask ruqya from others. Who did not ask ruqya from others. In the sense they did not go about asking people to read on them. To read ruqya on them. And also from these individuals are the individuals who did not resort to uh, cautery. In the sense this is a healing technique that they use fire and other heating methodologies to burn an individual's skin and heal wounds and injuries. And from these individuals will be the in individuals who perfected their trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Very swiftly, a lot of people have a misunderstanding in, the, in regard to this particular narration. And they think that due to this narration you cannot ask ruqya at all. 
In the sense, this narration highlights that it is the best, the ideal that you do not go about asking for ruqya, that you place your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that you perfect your tawakkul, that you trust Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And even from the conditions of ruqya, is that you're not supposed to believe firmly that cure only comes about through the ruqya. Just as how we're not supposed to believe that my cure will only come about if I drink this particular medicine, if or, if, or if I go to this particular doctor. No. Why? Because cure is in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is a shafi. He is the healer. He is the curer. He is the one who gives about cure. Not the medicine, not the ruqya, not the person who does the ruqya. So we need to put our belief system in place very properly. We should not you know, contaminate our belief system in any way. So this is the first condition. No elements of shirk can be incorporated into the ruqya. This is of utmost importance if you wish that the ruqya should work and so that you, you also, if you wish that you should not be held accountable in the court of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in regard to perhaps performing a wrong ruqya, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala save us all. Condition number two, very swiftly. The ruqya cannot be performed by a magician, by a fortune teller, by a soothsayer. These days you have individuals who indulge in, mag in magic. You have individuals who perhaps predict the future. You have individuals who read people's palms. They have all kinds of mystical um, you know, um, objects that they resort to to try and predict the future. These individuals, we are not supposed to approach them because we have explicit ahadith from the Prophet ﷺ in regard to the individual who believes what the fortune teller or what the soothsayer says, that individual has disbelieved in what Muhammad came with. May Allah Azza wa save us all. So likewise, it is not permissible that you believe in astrology. It is not permissible that you believe in perhaps those snippets that come in the newspaper that predict that, oh, you were born in this month, so you're not supposed to go out tomorrow. You're not supposed to involve yourself in a particular transaction because bad luck will follow. All of these things are shots in the dark. No one knows the future except for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So our belief system needs to be in place and not contaminated in any way. The, the third condition is that the ruqya cannot take place in a forbidden manner. Certain people who resort to ruqya in general because of the fact that they seek the help of the jinn will come to that it is not permissible to seek the help of the jinn because they seek the help of the jinn they have literally sold their souls to the jinn therefore the jinn expects them to involve themselves in certain rituals like say for example in the morning this individual the one who is considered the so-called quote-unquote healer he would come to the masjid, he would pray in the first off, he would look as if a very righteous person. But towards the evening, he would involve himself and indulge himself in all kinds of impurities. Like the jinn would ask him uh, at times perhaps to fill a bathtub with urine, to fill a bathtub with blood and soak himself in that blood which is najis, in urine which is najis, feces which is najis. So these individuals, because they have sold their souls to the jinn, the jinn expects them to do certain things as a price for their services. So according to the Quran and the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, my dear respected elders and brothers in Islam, take this principle with you back home today. That it is not permissible, I repeat firmly, it is not permissible for any individual, be it a scholar, be it a so-called raqi, a healer, that he uses the jinn. The jinn were a creation 
that was only subjugated to Sulaiman by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No other creation. We don't even have a hadith that Rasulullah being the greatest of all prophets used the help of the jinn. Today, you have certain individuals who say, oh, I have a, a jinn who is a very close friend of mine. I have, you know, converted that individual and he will do all kinds of things. If you want a surgery, he will perform the surgery over you. If you want, he will do certain things. These are all prohibited in the light of Islam. Our deen teaches us that we are supposed to turn to the Quran. We are supposed to turn to the sunnah of the Prophet and place our trust in Allah In regard to the realm of the jinn, in regard to the world of the jinn, we... Human beings, the slaves of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we are supposed to stay away from them as much as possible. We do not deny the existence of the jinn. We have a complete surah in the Quran that talks about the jinn. We do not deny the existence of the jinn, but we don't go to poke our noses into the world of the jinn. We do not go to play around with them. They are slaves of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and their objective is similar to our objective. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala states, I have not created the jinn kind or mankind for any other purpose other than ibadah. Just as how we are striving to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, just as how we are striving to do as much good as possible, the jinn too are supposed to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and strive to do as much good as possible. So the righteous jinnat, they do not interfere in our realm. It is generally the jinnat who are in the middle, who are not that too righteous, who are not evil, and the evil ones, the mischievous ones, who come and try to interfere and disturb our realm. So as believers, we must stay away from this completely, and it is upon us. To stay away from individuals, so-called indi- individuals, so-called righteous individuals who resort to seeking the help of jinn because this is also a form of shirk. We are supposed to seek the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and not the help of the jinn. Because like I said, there's always a price to pay. Just as how they say that individual has sold his soul to the devil, it is similar. When you seek the help of the jinn, there is always a price to pay. And in general, the jinn, they prefer that the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be brought down. They would at times, there are many reports, at times they would ask certain individuals to urinate over the Quran, to defecate over the Quran, to apply menstrual blood over the Quran. These are the dirty, impure requests of the jinn. So my dear respected elders and brothers in Islam, we must be extremely careful in this regard. Don't waste your money. Don't waste your hard-earned money on all these fraudsters, on these charlatans. Go to the scholars of Islam who fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and who are upon the Quran and the Sunnah and insha'Allah ta'ala, they will guide you towards that which is correct, that which was followed by Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. May Allah azza wa jalla open the doors of understanding for all of us. Ameen. May he subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive all of our sins. May he accept our good deeds. And may he help us to stick to that which is correct and that which is steadfast. And just as how he unites us here in this masjid, may he unite us in the gardens of Jannah. With our beloved Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. Amin wa akhir da'wayan. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.